What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But now the Lord looks and he sees trouble all around him, and this is what impresses him. And he says in verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near. There's none to help. The Lord especially feels he's all alone. No one is there. There's no five-year-old Malcolm to come and help him. He's all alone, but he's not really alone. He's all alone, but he's not really alone because there's many around him, but they didn't come to help. They came to destroy. And he looks now and he sees all of his enemies in verse 12. And he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. He looks there at his enemies and he says, there's many bulls that are around me. We can imagine the Lord looking at these individuals and trying to identify the individuals. There are just so many of them, it's hard for him. And he's afraid as he sees the sight of these vicious, vicious ones. And he says, they're bulls of Bashan. Of all the animals that he could have chosen, again, he thinks about all the animal realm and he says, the bull. And what does the bull do? The bull gores and the bull tramples like in the bull rings in in Spain and Mexico. The bulls kill the matador when they gore. And this is how the Lord sees his enemies and and what they had done to him. He sees those horns and he's saying to himself, they gored me, they gored me. He felt as though he had been gored through. He felt as though his hands had been gored through with holes. He felt as though his feet had been gored through with the horns of a bull. And some of us, you know, some of us are very sensitive to some physical thing that we might have. You know, Gorbachev with his birthmark on his head there. And, and who could ever think that, uh, of Gorbachev without thinking of that birthmark? That's, that's how everybody saw Gorbachev. That's how Gorbachev saw himself. It was always with that, with that, with that, with that identifying mark on his face. Maybe you have something special, you know, and when I think of myself, I can do this, see? Double joints of my thumbs. Huh? <laughs> Maybe there's something in your body that you have. Maybe you have red hair, I don't know. Anyway, but the Lord had something in his body that he could not picture himself without for all eternity. He pictured that as defining him, and those were the gore holes in his hands and in his feet. 
Or it's very sensitive to those gore holes in his hands and his feet. As a matter of fact, there was a time when the Lord identified himself that it was really him. And what he did is he pointed to those holes. And it says in Luke 24, 39, Luke 24, 39, the Lord said, behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I remember one time somebody was telling me, you know, that they had this dream and they saw the Lord. And I kind of wondered about it. And he said, oh, I saw the Lord. And I, t- and I asked him, I said, tell me, what, what, did you see anything special about his hands and his feet? Because this is what the Lord said, behold my hands and my feet that is I myself. Just think of those amazing words. Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. For all eternity, the Lord is going to be sensitive to those gore holes on his hands and in his feet. Because those holes in his fan and his hands and his feet are the emblems for him of his love for us. And those holes in his hands and his feet speak of his willingness to suffer and to die for our sins. You know, they didn't have to, the soldiers, hey, come on over and help me. I got a real struggling one here. I got to hold these hands down while I put the nails here. I got to hold these feet. It wasn't that way at all. Just took one soldier. He just put his hands down, nail away. He remembers the day when he willingly surrendered his hands and his feet to the Roman bull's abation for them to gore through with the nails like a bull would gore through its victim. And how tender it is now to hear the Lord say in Luke 24, 39, 24, 39, behold my hands and my feet. This is the answer to the question, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you, Jesus? Is it really me? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really love man? Do you really love man? Do I really love man? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really care what's happening to me like we've sung before in the hymn? Does Jesus care when my heart is broken? Do I care? Behold my hands and my feet. See, it's going to be the constant answer throughout eternity. Are you really the good shepherd? Are you really the good shepherd? Am I really the good shepherd? Behold my hands and my feet. This is how the Lord identifies himself. This is how he sees himself. And this is how he is seen in heaven. In Revelation 5, 6, in Revelation 5, 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He is seen as a lamb, lamb as it has been slain. How does a lamb look after it's been slain? Not very pretty. Not very pretty sight at all. There is blood. There is blood on the fleas. And this is how the Lord appears in heaven, as a lamb that has been slain. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't say the unsightliness of it. He doesn't go to put his hands in his pocket. I don't want anybody to see. But instead, he forever, behold my hands and my feet. Like Charles Wesley hymn, which says, Arise, my soul, arise. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Behold my hands and my feet. He calls his enemies here bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a region near the Jordan that was known for its rich countryside. It didn't have a lot of rocks in the pasture. It made particularly strong cattle. They were called bulls of Bashan. They had a reputation for being aggressive and oppressive bulls. Talks about them in Amos 4.1. Amos 4.1. Hear this ye bulls of Bashan that are on the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. So the Lord is struck by them. 
He's struck by their strength, but he's also struck by their number. He says, many bulls, many bulls. And then he says, strong bulls. He's struck by their opposition, how they crush the needy. And the Lord is struck by their position. They're all around. They compass me. They've surrounded him. This is common. This is common for what bulls do, for what buffaloes do, for what um, those other, and the dogs, hyenas do. The hyenas do. They form a circle. They form a circle around their prey before they gore them or, or kill them. And the Lord is thinking about how the bulls first gore and then they trample. Bulls gore. Bulls trample what they despise. And they typically foam at the mouth before they kill their prey. But there's two groups that are around his cross. First, there is this group that he calls the strong bulls of Bashan. That would be those in high position. They are the ones who are the strong bulls of Bashan. That's Pilate. That's Herod. That's the elders. That's the priests. That's the scribes. That's the Pharisees. They're the strong ones, the strong bulls of Bashan. But then there's another group. There's another group that's surrounding the Lord. These are the ones that the Lord refers to in verse 16. Verse 16, dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. He calls them dogs. These common, the common people of low degree, the Roman soldiers, the masses of the people who cried out, crucify him. They're surrounding the cross. And what's amazing about the group at the high position, the strong bulls of Bashan, and the group of the low position, the dogs, that have surrounded him is that they're all in agreement. They're all in agreement. You've heard the saying before, if you have two Jews, there are three opinions. Well, there's a lot of Jews here, but there's only one opinion. And that opinion is expressed in Matthew 27.1. Matthew 27.1, when it says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Here's an amazing thing. Here's all the chief priests. Here's all the elders. They are all now 100% in agreement. They are perfectly united. This is the word all. All, in Matthew 27.1, all the chief priests and elders. The key here are the words all against Jesus. All against Jesus. As a matter of fact, these are the words that really describe the scene here of the crucifixion. This is a scene of all against Jesus. When Peter and John pray to God in recounting what happened here, they talk about this all against Jesus in Acts 4.27. In Acts 4.27, when they pray to God and they say, up for of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. That's what they said. Against thy holy child, Jesus, Herod, Pilate, Gentiles, Jews. This was a powerful union. Who's not in this category of all the Gentiles and all the Jews? All gathered together against Jesus. This is the theme of Psalm 2 of Psalm 2, when God asks the question as if, he's, as if God starts off Psalm 2 by saying, I cannot believe it. I'm just astounded. I wonder what's going on. And Psalm 2 says, God says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. This is the true United Nations. This is the United Nations. This is what this is the all united against Jesus. 
Here's the new agreement now between the Gentiles and the people of Israel, all united and gathered against Jesus. And this answers the question, who killed Christ? Who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it was all the Gentiles and all the Jewish people. Is there anybody else in between? It's all the sins of all. So the Lord looks at them, and, and as he looks at them, and he sees them as, as strong bulls, he sees one part that he singles out. It's their mouth. He says in verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Now, he says, they gaped upon me with their mouths. You know, we talk about there's a gaping hole here. It means there's a very big, wide hole. So it's a gaped upon me with their mouth. They're talking about, he's talking about they've opened very wide their mouths as if to say they can't. A normal opening of the mouth is not good enough to get all the blasphemies out. So they open wide their mouth. They're resorting to, and Job talked about this. Really? Job talked about this in the same context, the same prophecy as Psalm 22 in Job 16.9. Job 16.9. When we read this, it says, He teareth me in his wrath who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. Just as we saw, and we read here in the beginning, as you know, we read this, this is a Psalm of David. And we read that in Psalm 22. And right away we read that, it's a Psalm 22. And we say, really? I don't remember this happening to David. When was it that David was pierced in his hands and his feet and so forth? And it becomes very obvious that this is going far beyond David to the cross, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing here. In Job 16.9, Job 16.9, when was it in Job 16.9 when Job says, he teareth me in his wrath who hateth me? But that's what happened to the Lord Jesus. And the words, the same word, and Job says in Job 16.10, they have gaped upon me with their mouths. That's what it says in Psalm 22.13. And we know the time, well, we don't know the time when Job was ever smitten on the cheekbone, but we do with the Lord. In Job 16.10, they have smitten me upon the cheekbone. That was in Luke 22.64. Luke twenty two sixty four. when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? We know the time when it says in Job, Job 16, 10, they have gathered themselves together against me. This is the Psalm twenty two twelve. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have sent me round. The dogs have surrounded. We know in Job 16, 11, God hath delivered me into the ungodly, turned me over into the hands of the wicked. When was that? That was Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken me to who? To the ungodly, to the wicked. Now the Lord, he further describes his enemy. He says they are a ravening lion, a ravening lion. A ravening is the word, Hebrew word taraf. Taraf, raven, it means to voraciously devour. It's what lions do. They tear off the meat as they eat it. He looks at his enemies, and he says, they're like cannibals ready to tear me apart. And the Lord sees this, and then he sees, he says, they're not only ravening, but they're roaring, a roaring lion. Amos talks about the roaring lion in Amos 3.4. Amos 3.4, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Lions roar when they have prey. The same is true of coyotes. When you're home and you hear a whole pack of coyotes yelling, you know it's too bad for some dog or cat because that's what they do. 
And this is what Isaiah called out about the lions in, in Isaiah 5.29, Isaiah 5.29. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver it. This is how the Lord sees himself. He sees himself as before the roaring lion who has laid hold on him as the prey and carried him away to a safe place where none can deliver, and that place was called Mount Calvary. And so the Lord, he hears this roaring. It says in Psalm 104, 21, Psalm 104, 21, the young lions roar after their prey. And the question becomes, what were the words he heard? What what were the words that he heard as the roaring And what he heard and continually echoed over and over and in his mind was Matthew 27, 23. Matthew 27, 23, the governor said, why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. That's what he heard. Pilate, therefore, said he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tumult was made. So Pilate looks at this crowd. He says, there's there's a tumult here. As he hears them saying, let him be crucified, and in Luke 23, 21, Luke 23, 21, they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. This is the roaring that he hears. John 19, 6, John 19, 6, the chief priest, therefore, and officers saw him. They cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's this phrase, crucify him, crucify him, let him be crucified, that he hears as the roaring of the lion in verse 13. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. It was the cry that never stopped in his head when he was on the cross. And so from these words in in, in verse 12, the many bulls that compassed him, that beset him, and the Lord is like, it's like a wave is coming in and he's going forward and backwards, this wave. He's looking in front, he sees his enemies. He's looking behind him, he sees his enemies. It's dizzying for him. All these many bulls surrounding him, this deafening roar of his enemies. And now he turns from them all to look at his own personal condition. He says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. He speaks of himself as being poured out like water. You know, still getting over it. And I know, and you know, that every person who is sick and every patient has one word, recovery. Recovery. And the first thought is, when will I return to health again? When am I going to get better? I just had the flu. That's my thought. And it's the hope of everyone who has the flu or has a cold or any disease, I want to be on the road to recovery. No person likes to think that he has passed into a non-recoverable terminal state. I've told you before that the worst thing about dialysis is its name, end-stage renal disease. Nobody wants to think that they're in the end stage. And and this is what makes the Lord's first words here in, in verse 14 so terrible when he says, I am poured out like water. If you have a container and you pour the water out onto the dirt, tell me, when can that water come back into the container? It can't. When can the water be recovered and put back in the container once it's poured out into the dirt? It can't because it's poured out. And this is the awful finality of his words when he said, I am poured out like water. The water can never return to the container that it was poured out from. It's the final to be poured out like water. And this is what happened is this is confirmed to him as he's on the cross. 
Looking down, and it says in John 19.23, John 19.23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture, in Psalm 22, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. As the Lord from the cross watches the soldiers divide his clothes and gamble for his coat, and it's almost like a, as he's watching this, it's my clothes, that's my clothes. And then you can almost see like a soldier look up and smile and says, what? You're not going to need this anymore. You don't need this anymore. He said, you are poured out like water. You're done. You're gone. And the Lord agrees with that as he says, he says, I guess I'm not. And he says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. The finality, I'm not going to return again. The Lord's dying here of dehydration. He feels within himself the process as he's bleeding to death, essentially, and water is needed to support his bloodstream so that his heart can keep pumping. His heart needs water around it. The sac around the heart, the pericardium, needs water. So water from his body is being osmotically pulled in to this pericardium through his sac there, and he feels this And John, when he's looking, he's looking very carefully. When the soldier comes to pierce him, it says in John 19.34, John 19.34, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. And John was looking at that and says, I've never seen that before. He sees that blood and water mixture. And it so impresses him when the soldier puts the sword into the dead body. And he sees that there's water. Water's not supposed to come out. Water's coming out. And it shows that his pericardium is filled now to try to stabilize his heart from the loss of blood from the evaporation under the hot sun. And the Lord is feeling this process as he's saying, my heart is melted within me. And this is the process that he's come to here. And this pouring out, this melting, it began before the cross. It began the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14.32. Mark 14.32, they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed, to be very heavy, and saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. In the garden there, he felt the wave of sorrow come over him, and he fought through that. He fought hard. He fought so hard against that wave of sorrow in Luke twenty two forty four, It says, Luke twenty two forty four. being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We read these things, and we ask ourselves the question, why did he do this? We read these things, and when we go to the Tree of Life synagogue, and the people around there, and we say, here, this is the Savior, and they say, what? Why? And we say the same thing. And the reason is because he loved us. Because he loved us. Because he saw that the greatest threat that we have is our sins, which threaten to cast us into hell for eternity. And his name is Jesus because he came to deliver his people from their sins. And this is how he delivers his people from their sins by dying for their sins, by paying the price for their sins, by opening the door so that God can forgive sins, clear the barrier, and bring from a land of death called earth to a land of life called heaven. 
That's what this is all about. So as we look at this passage here, we ask God, we say, God, make me thankful. Or as the hymn says, melt my eyes to tears when we read about all that he endured for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, for sharing with us your very best, the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being willing to do all of this for us. Love so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.